Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Lord, you're saving my children. You're raising up my children to do great things in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you're not finished yet, but you are still working. Hallelujah, thank you that you're still a God that speaks. You didn't stop speaking on the sixth day of creation. You're still speaking today, Lord. Hallelujah, God, you didn't stop fixing and creating on the sixth day, but God, you are still creating in this house tonight. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. One more time, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen. The Lord bless you. We're going to get ready to bring our speaker amen to the pulpit here in just a moment i do want to remind those of you that are coming to the banquet tomorrow night that begins at five o'clock amen if you're not sure what i'm talking about you're probably not coming to the banquet tomorrow night amen but tomorrow night at five o'clock also we're so glad to have brother frankie taylor and his wife karina all the way from california amen brother frankie taylor was up here leading us in worship and uh, just a great, great man of God. I've got to be around him and minister with him in some different venues, and uh, I wanted him here for this event, for this occasion, and we're so honored they accepted our invitation. They're going to be with us throughout the weekend. Amen. And uh, Sunday morning, amen, Sunday morning, our very own brother and sister Roberts are going to be here with us. Brother Roberts is going to be ministering on Sunday morning. He's going to be teaching in our adult Sunday school class. Amen. So we're looking forward to that. And then Brother uh, Taylor and the worship team will be leading us in worship. Then Brother Wilson, we're glad to have Brother and Sister Wilson. Carly, we're glad to have you here as well. And amen, Brother Wilson is going to be preaching our Sunday service uh, Sunday morning. And uh, by the way, just a little plug, if you haven't got your tickets yet for the concert in Richmond next, uh, the 5th, that's Thursday night, the 5th. Uh, we're we're going to carpool over as many of you as want to go, but you got to get your tickets. All right, the carpool, the ride might be fun, but if you have a ticket, that's the end of the ride. So get your ticket. Let's support Brother Wilson, all right? Let's take a good crowd over there, and let's worship the Lord and be a part of that great concert. Amen? And uh, as already mentioned, my dad, I asked him to give all the accolades and accreditation out, but I do want to give thanks to my siblings who are here tonight and their spouses. Amen. I know Kim couldn't make it, but Jared, thank you for coming all the way from Iowa. Amen. He's pastoring in in Iowa. And uh, I know it was a little bit of a sacrifice for him to get out here, but we're thankful. Amen. We went to eat seafood today, and Jared walked in. We we didn't plan it. He just said, we don't get food like this in Iowa. Amen. Not much seafood floating around out there in Iowa. But we're honored to have him and also Jolene, Brenton Jolene from... Uh, Faith Alive and Brandywine, their congregation and family, and Eric and Jody, all the way from Living Hope, D.C., and their boys, 
Amen. It's been a while ago, but I do remember the days when it was just us. And uh, those were good days. It's more fun with all of you, though. I mean, not that we didn't have fun then. We, we had good church. We never had to guess who Dad was preaching at. It was pretty obvious. Although I will say, even when there's 200 in the building, he has a way of making it pretty obvious who he's preaching to. Amen. But I'm honored today to have my best friend outside of my wife, make sure everybody knows that, and my father, outside of my family. What's that? Angelina said, I need to stop. Thank you, Angelina. One of my best friends. We, we met about 15 years ago. It's been right around the time that we, Valerie and I began pastoring here. And uh, Jason Huckabee came into my life at a very important time, very crucial time for me, and has been a great friend. He's a, a balance of um, fun, and then somehow he gets anointed. And uh, I, it's just, I, for me, it would take a whole lot of work from as much fun as he has to get anointed, but he does it and does it quite well. And uh, his wife, Natalie, is not able to be here with us and his three beautiful children. He pastors in uh, the outskirts of Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm so thankful that my friend could be here tonight to preach to us. I know y'all know him, but would you help me right now? Let's welcome Brother Huckabee as he comes to preach to us tonight. celebrate such a momentous occasion I uh, I thought Bishop while you were up here I leaned over to your son and I said he just has this way when he gets the mic awake making you want to come to the altar no matter what he's saying like I could go right now and uh, and some of you wish that I had but uh, here we are uh, brother Staten mentioned already just uh, what a wonderful friendship that we have and I always uh, just consider it a joy when we get to spend a few moments on the phone or uh, in fellowship or at a conference I, uh, we get to go to coffee and there sometimes we rode to the airport last night and he said Huck you don't have to ride to the airport and I said you know those times on the phone when we say Man, I wish we could just go get a cup of coffee right now. Well, let's just take advantage of it. So uh, we did not get a honey lavender latte, though, but uh, we did get a cup of coffee. And I consider him uh, my best friend, and I sure am thankful. It's not very often that someone pays you to fly all the way across the country, make so much effort to entertain you and honor you just to make fun of their family for an entire weekend, but it is a joy to be here. And the girls are so nervous, especially with these boyfriends and stuff that are hanging around these days. What used to be fun has just gone nuclear. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Brooke. The joy of the Lord. So when they let her boyfriend out of the seventh grade this year, 
It was a great day for Brooke. If you have your Bibles this evening, I do want to say quickly, I do love the Staten family, but I see uh, Chad Douglas and Jeremy Moore are here, and I love them very much. Amen. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 1 is where I'll begin reading. I'll read a lengthy portion of scripture. Now there was a certain man of Ramoth Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Paniah. And Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. When the time that Elkanah offered, he came to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, he gave to them portions. But unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, she went up to the house of the Lord. So she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Now I'm going to just stop right here and say that the adversary has to be pretty powerful. One, to be moved with emotion but the other to rob us of hunger. Because that's the intention of your adversary. It's not only to overwhelm you with the adversity of your moment, but the enemy's purpose is to rob you of your hunger. Then said Hannah to her husband, to her Hannah, why, why weepest thou? And why weepest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post at the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept so. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the infliction or the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. What a what a season of life for Hannah. Perhaps called and positioned with God's purpose. He has lifted the hedge of protection. Now her adversary has moved to provocation. Has robbed her physically, spiritually, and emotionally. So much so that she will not even partake 
So it is that Elkanah moves into position, if you will. The Bible said he gave unto her a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. He gave unto her a worthy portion. The Lord will help me for just a few moments tonight. I want to preach to you on this subject, the curse of a worthy portion. The curse of a worthy portion. Would you lift your hands and open your hearts to the Lord and let's invite him to speak. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we serve a God that's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all we can ask or think. We give you praise and glory and honor and thanksgiving. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for your anointing. Would you put your hands together and honor the Lord with your praise? Amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. She is a heroine of the Hebrew nation. Hannah, who is the victim of Paniah's ardent desire to be the preeminent voice of Elkanah's family. She has, through extreme provocation of her adversary, learned to endure the sore vexation that Paniah perpetually provides. She weeps and grieves to the point of emaciation. One translation says her heart is so laden with pain and indignation that her wailing was as the sound of thunder. She is grievously vexed because of what is missing. The affliction of her soul is not that her adversary controls her destiny or even that Paniah has a place of preeminence that Hannah can never attain. It's that in this inner struggle that is raging in Hannah, she cannot explain her barrenness. There is not here in this text the reasoning of mere early years of struggle. Hannah has watched Paniah produce she has observed her sons receive the portion of the sacrifice that belonged to them. Her tent is expanding. Yet, Hannah has raging in her complex this point of deteriorated depression. Elkanah. Elkanah, her husband, loves this beautiful, lovely, anxious grieving, depressed wife. What can he do to perhaps resurrect the hope of this barren beauty? No doubt he reasons that he will give her a worthy portion. Maybe just maybe it will be sufficient enough to satisfy her barrenness. Elkanah never says in the text that he desires to fix 
her not having a child. He merely wants her to be happy in her insufficient state. I stop here to make this parenthetical statement and that is I never and do not now believe that God ever intended for the apostolic church to be satisfied with a worthy portion. In fact, as we, as we define what the worthy portion is, it is that in this yearly journey that the family makes to the tabernacle, they will there offer a sacrifice. With part and parcel of the sacrifice, there is then returned to the family. A portion of that sacrifice which will then be parceled out to the family. And they will partake of the flesh that is offered on the sacrifice. It's interesting to note here that Elkanah's antidote for barrenness was just another piece of flesh. You see, the worthy portion that was offered by Elkanah is nothing more than a double portion of the flesh. I stand here to say that the greatest adversary to the church and you and I individually is carnality. For the carnal mind is enmity with God, is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. Can I just help the church for just a moment on this night of celebration? The Bible says that ye who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Can I help you in the house tonight? Is we don't need a double portion of the flesh. We don't need a double portion of carnality. We don't need a double portion of what we can provide in our own human reasoning. Can I help you, Elkanah? Barrenness can never be satisfied with a double portion of the flesh. But the only thing that will satisfy the womb of he who is anointed to bring forth is what the Spirit can produce. Can I remind this apostolic church, we cannot be carnal minded. We are not a carnally minded church. We are not a church that needs more of the flesh, but we need an apostolic anointing that will destroy every yoke and break every bond and do away with every hindrance. Our greatest curse is the gift that satisfies us in our carnal state. Can I say to you that two times the flesh still doesn't produce what the Spirit can produce? We need to understand a little better about sonship. Ye 
who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. We got too many churches and too many individuals and too many folks that are trying to be led by the flesh and we're calling it the Spirit. I want to help you. The enemy's not after your gift. The enemy's not after your talent. He's not after your ability. He's not after your wisdom. He's not after your insight. He don't care what kind of degree you have. He doesn't care how much education you possess. The Bible said that the day that David was coronated the king of a unified kingdom, that the Philistines standing in the distance reasoned together, the Bible said, and they said we must conquer David now because we hear that he is anointed. The enemy don't care about your gift and talents, but you want to engage the greatest enemy of your soul, you let the... You let the anointing start working on you. Because the Bible said there is an anointing that can come on you that will destroy the yoke. I don't know what kind of bondage you're in, but can I remind you the gift that makes you free is not a double portion of the flesh. It's not more education. It's not more gifts. It's not more ability. But what gets the enemy's attention is when the anointing... When the Bible, when the Bible said that the anointing destroys the yoke, Brother Douglas, it don't break it. We misquote it all the time. It destroys it. And the picture of what the anointing does parallels the oxen that are working the field and the farmer comes and puts the yoke on the oxen to bind them together because two is better than one. But they are under the control of the one who holds the lead reins on these beasts of burden that are in the field. They, with the bit in their mouth and the burden of the yoke go where whoever is holding the rope tells them to go. I want to tell you that sin starts as a decision, but it ends with an enemy in charge of what your behavior is. And while the yoke is on the oxen, Brother Douglas, it is the parallel to the anointing. And the Bible said that the anointing destroys the yoke. If you... Look at the translated version into a modern text. This is what it says. It says that the oxen become so fat with favor that it shatters whatever it is that is keeping them bound. In other words, you're just navigating through life. You're just working like you've always worked. But the anointing comes on you. See, he don't care who you are or what your pedigree is or what family you're from or what your gifts and talents are. He just wants to prevent the anointing from working on you. But the Bible said that when the anointing comes on the oxen in the field that it becomes so fat with favor that it... That the yoke just shatters under the growth of... I want to help somebody in this house. God is about to do something in this 
abilities, not through a double portion of the flesh, but I'm here to prophesy to this city, not to this church, but I'm prophesying to this city that there is a witness in this community that has become fat with favor and the oxen that are being controlled by the enemy not only will be free, But the yoke's going to be destroyed. Some of you are going to be walking around one day and all of a sudden, pop. There goes the yoke, pop. Now you're all of a sudden free. For he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Bible says that Hannah, Hannah, it appears for a season, is satisfied with the double portion yearly. Bible said yearly that they go up to the temple every year. Elkanah, being a good Hebrew man, he. He's like, all right, get the kids, get the family. Come on, Paniah, come on, Hannah. We're, we're all going up to offer a sacrifice at the temple. I wonder if along the journey, Bishop, if he just kind of whispers to Hannah, I know, I know what's raging on the inside of you. I know the emotions that you're trying to process. I know what kind of depressed state you're in. I know what the struggle is, but I just want you to know that when we get to the temple, I'm going to give you a double portion. Because I don't want you to be sad, and I don't want you to fret, and I don't want you to be vexed, and I don't want you to listen to all the things that your adversary is saying. But the antidote to what you're battling is just a double portion of the flesh. We can figure this out, sis. We can work through it. You just let get your mind in the right place. You just, we're, we're, we're going to unpack all of this emotionally and spiritually and physically. But when we get there, I just want you to know I'm going to give you more. Twice as much as what you had. Hannah's, Elkanah's name means godlike. Because she's getting her answers for something that's like God, but not God. Because if we're not careful as a church and as a people and as ministry, we get satisfied with something that looks like God, but ain't God. We get real comfortable in forums like this with preaching that is just like preaching. It's not real word-based preaching. It's, it's just like something. It tells a good story and it motivates us and it lets us feel comfortable where we are. It's not really the word. It's just like the word. It's not really, it's singing. I get that it's Christian and I, I get that it's kind of Christian based, but it's not really Holy Ghost. It's just a little bit of entertainment. It's not God, but it's like God. And if you're not careful, you'll get paying attention to the thing that's like God and not God, and it will satisfy you with a double portion of carnality. 
is just like church. I mean, it ain't really church. It's just like church. It's not really preaching. It's just like preaching. Really what it is, it's a substitute for the real thing. Because I cannot provide you with children, let me give you the worthy portion so that you'll be satisfied with something that is like the real thing. I'm going to tell you, God had never intended for the apostolic community to be satisfied with his likeness. The world, the world is intoxicated with God-like. The Christian community is intoxicated with God-like. The apostolic church is intoxicated with God-like. We have God-like worship. We have God-like preaching. We have God-like music. We have God-like prayer meetings. It's not the ingredients of a service that is church. It just looks like church. And Paul wrote to Timothy and said there will come a day that there will be a people who have the form of godliness but they don't have any power because they are satisfied with God-likeness and God-likeness never healed a body and it never opened a barren womb and it never set an addict free and it never made a sick man whole and it never put a marriage back together and it never opened a blind eye because God-likeness will not equal God present it's what Ishmael was in fact his name translated means one like God he was like him no He wasn't the promise. He was the worthy portion that would be the substitution for the promise. Ishmael was the worthy portion to a barren Sarah. He was what the flesh could produce. He was not really the promise. He looked like a promise, he spoke like a promise. He sounded like a promise, but he was never the promise. He was flesh given. The problem is that what you produce in the flesh becomes the thing that can never coexist with your miracle. Bible Bible said Sarah's Standing in the kitchen, peering out the window, Brother Robert. And she sees Ishmael mocking Isaac. Ishmael's what the flesh will give you. Ishmael is the worthy portion. 
Ishmael is the one that looks like God, not God. He's the one that looks like a promise but never fulfilled the promise. He was the substitute that the flesh could derive, but it was not what the Spirit produced. But when you get the flesh and the Spirit operating, opposing one another in the same house, you got a problem. And the Bible said that the mistake or the flesh begin to mock the miraculous. I want to help somebody. There's a promise in this room. I said there is an anointing on this church. There is a power that fills the space of this sanctuary. But it was not born in the flesh. And it cannot live in the flesh. For ye who are led by the Spirit, ye are the sons of God. Some of you have a little flesh in your life that needs to be kicked out. Because if you allow it to exist, it will become the entity that mocks your miracle. We don't need carnal singing and we don't need carnal preaching and we don't need carnal prayer rooms. We need the anointing that only the Spirit can give. I... Say this carefully, both state, and you can fix all of this when I'm gone. You're going to have to send your family to therapy anyway. Why not the church? The only amen I've received from Valerie all night. You know, the setup in the scripture is the need. Now, understand that I am not talking about culture and language and gender here. So perhaps I should preface my remarks to save him from flying in a council. But the greatest challenge in the Bible is seated in the very thinking that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. And that is the need for equality. Because the Bible says it, Lucifer gathers his little congregation in heaven. And he said, but I shall be lifted up as the most high. I want to be like God. I want to be the one that sits on the throne. And the Bible said that when he fell as lightning, that it's not long, Brother Wilson, before God creates man in his own image and he puts him in the garden. And when he puts him in the garden, the fall of Eve is because the seed that was in Lucifer that was never redeemed stood at the fruit that was forbidden and said the only reason that Satan or that the Lord is trying to keep you from partaking of the fruit is because he knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall be like him. Because we got this need to be like him. 
And we're trying to substitute the like him for him. And Satan beguiles Eve because Eve is raging within herself a desire to be like God, to be more than what she is. She don't want to be subservient to the Spirit. She wants to be God. She wants to sit on the throne of her life and the very act that got her eliminated from paradise caused one child to die and the other to be banished from the family is because she wants to be like God. God help the apostolic church when we set ourselves on the thrones of our own life and we desire to be like God. You're not equal to him. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten of the Father. There is none like him. There is none like him. You're not like him. You can't be good enough to be like him. So why are you trying to sit on the throne of your own life? And be God-like. Man. Man is most powerful. At the point that he makes a decision. That's why he becomes intoxicated with arrogance. Because he knows. That his will is sovereign. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, God painted himself into the holy writ as a gentleman who will not override your will. And so he will let you sit on the throne of your life if that's where you desire to sit. And he will not interrupt how you hold court in your kingdom. As to whether God has preeminence or not. To prove the point. When God created man and woman in the garden. He took the tree. Now folks I'm going to tell you. If I were building this garden. If Huck was God. And he ain't even God liked. Much less God. Don't say a word. Two amens. Devil is a lie. <laughs> Brother Douglas, he puts the tree in the middle of the garden. That ticked me off. Brother Moore, he don't put it in the back 40 and put a fence around it, it's 10 feet high. He don't put it way out of the way so that you got to journey a long way off to go get by the tree. No, he put it in the middle of the garden. You know what that means is that every day that you get up, you got to walk right by it. Because every day you make the decision about what you will let rule and reign. There's the tree. 
And every time I walk by the wrong decision, every time I submit to spiritual authority, every time I walk in the anointing of the Spirit, I am sending a message to the enemy. I made a choice today to walk right by the thing that can eliminate me from paradise. This is my choice to worship. This is my choice to not walk after the flesh. This was my choice to walk in the spirit. For ye who are the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. Every day I'm walking right by the tree. Every day I'm walking right by it. There it is. He didn't move it out of my way because it's there as a badge to show the enemy how much authority I have that he put the power of choice in me that I can make the right decision. I can decide to go to church. I can decide to have revival. I can decide to lead my family in righteousness. I choose. Every day I walk by the tree, I am not going to fall prey to the enticement of the enemy. me though I'm going to help you for the more your choice is more powerful than your prayer meeting now you can't make the right choice without your prayer meeting but your choice is more powerful than your prayer meeting in fact you don't believe it go look at what happens in the garden the Bible said that Adam and Eve walked with God every morning in the cool of the day. You know what that means? On the day she partook of the forbidden fruit, she'd just come out of a prayer meeting. She'd been walking with God. Hey, oh, Jesus, I love you. Whew, you've been so good to me. Look at all this wonderful fruit and all this stuff that you've blessed me with. And I am so glad that you are in our lives. And look at what a wonderful life you've given us. Whoop. But now her ear on the other side is attuned to the beguiling voice of the flesh. Something that's saying you can be like God. Let me tell you what is more powerful in your prayer meeting if you let it. Is the beguiling voice of something that says you have the throne. Because we cannot be trusted with power. to satisfy her hunger for reproduction. God has a wonderful revival for the apostolic church. But we got to get hungry for something more than a worthy portion. great at having God-like church and we're great at having God-like meetings but I fear that our God-likeness has become the substitute for the supernatural I'm almost done but what Hannah 
don't know perhaps. That may be innately seated in here. Is the understanding that the supernatural is going to be gone a little word for this church entombed in this woman is a prophet that will anoint kingdoms he will call nations to war he will anoint kings and he will liberate bondage and he will speak faith and hope and he will win battles it's all in the spirit of a woman who cannot be satisfied with what the flesh can give. Stand to your feet all over the room. You see, the satisfaction of the worthy portion would have negated the opportunity to produce the prophet. Forty years later, the greatest protection against the influence of the enemy is still revived. I'm almost done. But I'm like Bishop, I go back for the mic a second time. Brother Staten, you know what will fix every problem you got in this church? And I know you're interested in that. You don't want to fix every problem in your church. I'm going to prove it to you. Go back to Genesis 1. And at the creation of mankind in Genesis 1, you know where God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was out form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and we go through the six days of creation and on the seventh God rested. But when he created man, this is what the Bible said. He said he told them to produce and to have children. I read it. And I thought I was going to wreck my car. You're like trying to figure out how I was reading and driving my car. That's all right. You do some illegal things too that we ain't told nobody about. Now, I'm going to be real transparent here. I'm fairly certain that my wife's not cheating on me. I'm going to give you some reasons why. One is standing right here. I mean, why would you when you got the buffet? The second is we got three kids that require constant care. I'm talking about my wife is whipping somebody all the time. 
It's like cook supper, swat, put in another load of laundry, swat, check whatever's on the burner over here, hit this kid, swat that kid, take this load of laundry out, put it in the dryer, take something else off the burner, hit another kid. Could handle it. So I'm fairly certain that she ain't got time to listen to the beguiling voice of a serpent. And the Bible said that the Lord instructed Eve to have babies. I called a man who had his master's in theology from Oxford, England, and I said, Doctor, I have a question. I cannot find where there are any babies born in the garden. And he said, well, Reverend, there is somewhat of a theological argument about it. But the preponderance of evidence is that there were no children born in the garden. I said, let me just get this right before I preach it. You're saying that perhaps that if Eve had had babies like she was commanded, that she'd have never had enough free time to sit on the stump, peer into the tree, and listen to the beguiling voice of the enemy. Woo! I feel a little help in this house. I'm telling you that revival is the answer for the next 40 years of this church. That the anointing is the answer for the next 40 years of this assembly. That authentic apostolic power is the answer for the next 40 years of this church. For ye who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Not more flesh. Not more gifts. Not more talents. Not more abilities. But when the Spirit begins to unite with the heart of a man who cannot stand barrenness any longer, then there is authority that comes to liberate your community. I'm done. Take your neighbor by the hand. The Bible said that Hannah made her way Brother Wilson into the tabernacle. It changes her season. It causes there to be a shift from barrenness to production. Here's what she said. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you.